Well, hello, Mr. Newton. That's right. What's up, Mr. Chad? Not much, man. Been been house cleaning and uh, taking advantage of this downtime to get some crap done, like like house cleaning. <laughs> As I we were talking about home studios uh, the other day on the phone, so that's kind of what I've been up to. And you told me about your master plan to uh, build a special structure right in your backyard. That's right. So we uh, we actually have the contractors coming tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we've got to go through some HOA and a few little, there's a process for it, but, uh, they're coming tomorrow and kind of get some things mapped out. You know, it's something we were kind of working on about six months ago and we've decided it's time to pull the trigger. Yeah. Well, speaking of triggers, I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on slapping a number on this thing. What number is it today? (laughs) This is number 209 or 209 as Patrick would say, if he were here. So yeah, Patrick is on holiday sort of in in Ireland. He went back home to attend a memorial for a friend of his. Barry Dunphy, who died recently. Um, I'm sure he's spending time with family. I know that he's at his mom's house because he told me he he checked out the uh, the bass guitar we left behind his uh, his Ibanez uh, bass, which we uh, we decided to leave over there because of all the problems that we were having getting uh, our instruments to and from Ireland. <laughs> you know, it's a huge hassle these days trying to to go on uh, aircraft with uh, with guitars and basses and so forth. So he suggested that we do the show in his, in his absence. He called it the Rhythm Sexy. Uh, this will be the first show that Kevin and I have done without Patrick. Um, so, man, how, how's it going? It's going good. good. You know, good, I got uh, some good news. Stacy today, you know, she's negative COVID. So. Oh, fantastic. Good. Yeah, we've, you know, I mean, it actually couldn't, uh, I hate to say it, come on a good better time, you know, with the down week, but you know, it's uh, Team Newton's been pretty much shut down for about seven, ten days here. And yeah. And, um, but she's negative. My youngest son's negative and excellent. Sure enough. As soon as she's negative today, what's the first thing we do? She's like, we're going exercising, you know, <laughs> I think for two years straight, she's only missed two times exercising. And this is one of them. And she just was dying. So oh, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So we did. It was kind of funny. I got a funny story for you. So we, she goes, it's going to be about 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'll go with you. Right. So we just kind of go for like a power walk. Right. We're not quite running, but we're just getting back into it. And she's like, you know, and she's not going to run yet. She's going to wait a couple more days and ease back into it. Well, her power walk for me, I might as well be jogging. So it's, we're moving quick. <laughs> and it just seemed like it was going so long that I'm like, this is longer than I expected, longer than you led me to believe. And she looks at her watch and it was exactly 46 minutes. One minute passed when she said, and it was like the funniest thing. We both started laughing because it was like perfect timing when I started complaining. <laughs> but that's all right. I sucked it up. We finished it up. She was happy. And, you know, that's so great. We're, that's great. We're back. And so I'm, I'm glad yeah. to say I told her today, you, you're not pregnant. So that's good. You know, she tested negative, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She oh man, you didn't find that as funny, but I'm glad it was relatively, uh, well, I, I know it was rough for her while it was going on, but I'm glad it didn't last too much longer. Than yeah. She's bound. Yeah. She was sick, you know, she, she hit her, uh, no fever though, which was good. So she yeah. didn't have to battle that, but I just, it's crazy that I'm still talking about that, but it's, uh, it's still here and you know, you just have to kind of deal with it when it comes. Yeah, I know. I, I it's, it's crazy. I, I still see, you know, I don't really wear a mask yeah. anymore when I go out. I haven't for a long time. But I still yep. see people like just recently I've seen like an uptick in, in mask, you know, voluntary mask wearing uh, yep. around the Houston area. So people are still a little nervous about it. So you, you tell me about your uh, your your home studio idea. Was this something that hit you? You you guys were already going to build something in the back. Was that right? Did yeah, we were kind of we always made the jokes. We call it the pool house, you know, but we wanted pool to house. build a studio, you know, a place where it was kind of separate from our house where we could 
you know, kind of have a private area. We can be as loud as we want. We can do what we want in it. And, you know, just an, an ultimate studio. And, you know, Stacy and I have done some of our own podcasting. We haven't released anything yet, but we, we do things kind of behind the scenes. And, you know, Stacy's online all the time with her brand. And so we just thought it's time, you know, it's, I think this would really be beneficial. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm banging on the drums in the house and, you know, it's not the quietest instrument. And so I, you know, we, we have plenty of space. And so I said, let's just go for it. And so we already have pre-construction plans. I mean, we've already, we're, we're partway through it and, you know, they're just going to come back out and kind of reevaluate everything and see what we want to do. And that's fantastic. Yeah. And so we'll kind of start the process. So, you know, I'm not sure I would probably guess, you know, I I think this might be a three month deal, two to three month deal, but. Oh, wow. It's fast. Yeah. Actually, it's not, you know, some of the hard work's already done. We just have to get some plans approved and there's a few changes we're going to do, but, uh, Cool. You know, Stacy's a big gardener too, so we we're gonna have some things we got to incorporate, and uh, and then we'll just be off the races. So, nice, yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be I'll be following that with with much interest from your progress. As I as I mentioned too, I, I'm I'm starting to get finally pulling my closet apart uh, so I can refit it as a vocal booth. It's a walk-in closet I have in my front room. And I've, I've had it, I've been living in this apartment for a very long time, but it's, I've only just kept junk in there. I've never really used it for anything. It's just been a place where I like, uh, just throw the stuff in here to get rid of it. And it was a while ago. I, I thought I was thinking, God, you know, it, as much as I love living here, it, it's a, it's an old fourplex house, uh, with, of which there are many in the Houston area, uh, like war era. I think it was built in the forties. So the walls are really thin. So, like if anybody raises their voice, we, we all hear each other, you know, and you can hear. So I've always been very aware of that and, and try not to make too much noise. So that when I sing, when I practice singing, I can't really do it here. Just open up like where I'm sitting right now. It would, everybody would hear it and it would, you know, f- for a few seconds, it'd probably be okay. But if I was doing it for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour at a time, sure. people would lose their minds. So I haven't really done a whole lot of singing at home, but it occurred to me one one afternoon that I've got this closet here, and it, it's one of the, it's the only room. It's not a room, but it, the closet has this old carpeting on the floor. So that was one of the first things that caught my attention. I was like, oh, wait a second. So I, as an experiment, I took I don't have it with me my little Wonderboom Bluetooth speaker, and I put it in there and just cranked it to full volume, and then closed the door, and it went like you could almost just barely hear it. Just 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 as it is now that was with a bunch of crap in the closet i'd already have already taken out but so i'm in the process of gutting it and pulling everything out and so now i have all this crap around my room i'm trying to figure out what to do with it now like i'm gonna throw you out and keep you i don't know what i'm gonna do with you yet that type of thing like it's, it's like junk triage <laughs> like what sure. gonna do with it? and uh but i've got these 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 a uh, couple of old packing blankets like moving blankets that oh yeah that, that our friend greg fugate gave to, uh gave gave to me and patrick has some of them too um, and it's some of them, he, we gave some of them to Paul Beebe for his recording studio. And, uh, so that's one thing I'm going to do, but I was thinking about getting some, uh, you know, cheap, those acoustic foam tiles Yeah. and just tacking them up on the wall, just coat the entire, it's just, you know, it's small enough. I could think I could coat the entire wall, you know, the, the entire circumference of the room of the, of the closet. And then above me, I'll put those packing blankets and just stuff as much like pillows and old coats and and sleeping bags that i'm not using anymore just to try to cushion me from my upstairs neighbor says he's really the only person who's directly exposed to whatever i'm going to be doing in that closet so uh so i'm kind of i'm 
kind of, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I think about that too. I maybe put some ring light around, you know, so it kind of, so it's least, least pleasant to be in there. Yeah. You know? Create that so, environment. So that way yeah. it's a little more enjoyable. So that's going to open up a whole new world for me living here that I've, I've, I'll be able to be musically productive in a way I just have never really done since I moved in here. So I'm very excited about that. Dude, that's so cool. You're saying that. Cause I mean, that's really the exact same thing we're talking about. It's like, I'm yeah. always, I'm finding ways to play drums quieter. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, I play with the mesh heads. I play I, I with my quiet cymbals. I'm always going down and I'm like, what happens if I were to go up a place where you can just let it rip? And so, yeah, yeah. around the same idea where you just, just insulate it up and make this thing, make it rad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, that's going to be, that's going to be really, really freaking cool. And this comes on the heels. Of course, Patrick has been in the process of building out his studio, yeah. at his new house up in uh, Huntsville, uh, where we've done some rehearsal. In fact, last week's episode and had some footage from a, from a rehearsal. Uh, yeah. So we're all I love his place. It's busy cool. doing it's, this. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. His place is cool. It's comfortable. So I love it. It's just, it's so nice. And then you're sitting there on the lake. I'm like, yeah. If you ever feel like you want to complain in life, just hang out there for 10 minutes. You're good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's your calibration zone. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that it's, as far as pulling stuff out of that closet, one of the things I was pulling out of there was my old VCR, uh, which my dad gave to me like probably 20 years ago. And a, a stack of all these VHS tapes that I've been carrying around with me since the 1980s. And I always intended, like I got to figure out how to get the stuff onto digital and like, you know, 15 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't really feasible because of just storage limitations. And, yeah. and also it was just, I didn't have, you know, decent enough equipment to do it properly. And you have these services where you send tapes off to, for them to transfer. And that's, that's okay. If you got a, maybe, you know, a couple of them, but with the amount of stuff I have, it would be prohibitively expensive to get to pay somebody else to do it. So, but technology has come along now and storage is cheaper. So, and I've, I've got, uh, a network attached storage and NAS uh, with mass storage at home. So I'm not really worried about that anymore. So I went ahead and pulled the trigger and bought like the cheapest thing I could find that had good reviews <laughs> to transfer stuff from the v- from the VCR to my, to my PC. And uh, I mean, that's the other thing I'm, I'm amazed that this thing still works. It's like a, I don't know, probably it's a Sony VCR that was probably made in the late nineties. It's very old, but it still works. And I've been having a lot of fun watching this this old stuff a couple of old things from from my his from my past but also just old movies i've got i have all my dad's vhs tapes too and one of them is a 2001 a space odyssey so i was nice. watching that you know the, the the picture quality is terrible compared to what we're used to these days but it was just so kind of it was like comfort food watching this old for sure fuzzy vhs vhs image so one of the things i i've found that i knew i had i just hadn't i, I thought for sure it would be deteriorated by now is a, a couple of cassettes of my band elemental penguins first performance at my high school hspva back from february 1987 so very very long time ago we're coming up god i guess it's we're coming we just passed like the whatever that is the 36th anniversary is that right from from 1987 i think my my math is yeah 36 36th anniversary of that yeah of that particular performance so that tape is no Sick. 36. 36. 36. Yeah. 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 I'm not quite that old yet. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <not laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, it might as well be, but, uh, so though, yeah, those tapes are 36 years old and that's insane that they, they still work, but that's, that's not the only, I have older cassettes than that actually that I was, I was checking out, but, uh, not of that band, but just of other goofings around that I had from when I was a teenager. 
Yeah. So I think I'm getting that device tomorrow. So if I have time, I might drop in a little bit of footage of that. Cause we were, I, you and I were, ch- were chatting the other day and uh, we were asking, we were saying maybe we could talk about, you know, our earliest, you know, performances. Like, so when you, when you first, that was when that band, Elemental Penguin, that was the first time I ever performed live with a band was my senior year in high school. When, when was your, your first time performing? I think it would have been 90, had to have been 96, 95, 96. Would have okay. Been high so you're around school. the same I mean, age I was, I was performing probably. in bands, but that was more school. But like, you know, my first punk rock band was like 95 or six. Were you we in high school at the time? First show, in high school. Yeah. Yeah. We played our first show. Cause I graduated 98. So I think it would have been my sophomore year, freshman year, something like that. And we went out to California. We played at the showcase theater in Corona, California. One of my oh, first wow. shows oh, we got, I don't even know how we got this show. Like the one guy in the band knew people or something. And we, you know, I was the kid in the band and it was just packed. Like I just was, I was freaking out. Like That's I a, was, that was the very first performance. Like our first, we played like a party and like, okay. you know, we did like a thing like that. That was the first like show. Like we played like a show and, wow. and we played with a band called straight faced, you know, kind of a, you know, Fearless Records band. It was in that scene, in that area, you know, and we played the Showcase Theater and we were the first band. And I remember they were doing the sound check. I'd never done anything like that before. And so I'm like, he, the guy's going kick, kick. And I thought he was saying kit. So I just kept playing the kit. <laughs> and he literally comes out like, and it, actually he, he's getting upset and he's trying to, he's trying to communicate with me, but you tell he's getting mad. Another guy in another band came out. Oh, because you could tell, man, I was probably 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, you're just kidding. And you could tell I was struggling. And he was like, dude, the, the bass drum. And I was like, oh, he's saying kick. I was like, I mean, at that point, I was like, Oops. oh, God, you know, like, <laughs> and so I got through that. And then, you know, we we played OK, you know, we played well. And we just, you know, you're up there just playing power chords and as fast as you can play and take a big deep breath and just go. And you play your 20. I think we played. 25 30 minutes or something and I have the whole thing on tape you know and so oh you do i do i have it on tape and so i i think i have it i was starting to look through it after we talked but i got to dig around a little bit but i i'm oh that would be awesome i'm 99 positive i have this on tape if you can like yeah if you can actually don't don't destroy the tape and your your efforts to to, to see but if you could just get like film it with your phone or something just you know just something see if i can get it yeah that would be really cool that's crazy i was gonna ask you if you had a tape of it that's trippy yeah my buddy was in the band another guitar player his dad came and filmed it he you know drove us nice uh, yeah i'll never forget after the show we're like so what'd you think and he was like "Eh." (laughs) (laughs) he went "Eh." (laughs) i just was it not his just because it wasn't his his, yeah. his kind of music or you know we just we fumbled you know we fumbled through it and it was the first time in a setting like that and we you know we just I mean at the time you think it's okay right but you just kind of look back now and I'm like oh man you're just you're kind of you're brand new you're kids you know you're just kids up there playing yeah you know I remember a couple songs in I had dropped a stick and I was just my heart was beating out of my chest the whole time I never settled in. And it took a minute and then, uh, you know, and then you get a couple of those under your belt and then you're fine. But w- was this Pummel or was this a different band? It was a different band. Yeah. Yeah. How long yeah. were we all together? That band? I think in high school, you know, we were together just, a year or just, two in high school. Okay. High school band. What was the name yeah. of the band? Crack. 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 Nice. <laughs> yes. 
Yep. <laughs> that was the name of the band. <laughs> I actually have, I found some stickers and, uh, Pummel came after that, you know, then okay. Pummel formed and that was a long-term band. We were banned for a while. And that was you and your brother, right? Like, yeah. He was in the band, a few, few other members. And, and uh, we were a five piece for a while and we actually got down to a three piece. And so we, uh, and then Pummel was the three piece for a long time. Many was, years. was, was your brother in crack as well? He was was about halfway through. And so he was about halfway through the band. I, cause they, I worked with this guy and he was probably mid twenties and I worked for this kid's camp and he was like, Hey, I hear you play drums. And I'm like, yeah. And I was probably 15 at the time. And he's like, we're, we need a drummer. You're our drummer. You know? And I was like, okay. You know, I just, they were older guys and I thought, Oh, they're cool. I'll just drum for them. So I remember going home. I'm like, mom, dad, I'm drumming for this punk rock band now. And so I was drumming for him and I, and my brother played guitar and he was like, well, I want to be in the band. And I was like, all right, well let me get into the band first. And so I got in and played <laughs> and I told him, if you want me to be the drummer, you got to bring my brother and his guitar. And he's like, well, we already have two guitar players. And he, and I was like, well, that's the deal. And so they were like, they kicked a guy out and my brother came in. <laughs> so, oh man. Looking back, I'm like, Oh God. But you know, I wanted to be with him. I had comfort with my twin brother there. So yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. That's kind of how that took off. So did you perform a lot throughout high school or? Yeah, we actually performed a lot. One of the guys in the band was a promoter. And so he always was bringing shows into where my hometown in Lake Havasu. And so, man, we bring all these cool bands in and, uh, you know, big in that nineties kind of punk rock scene. And so we got to open for just all these bands, you know, we were the local That's band. So cool, man. Yeah. I mean, we really had a good thing with that and just, you know, we would play in front of, you know, four or 500 people, you know, all these little shows and we'd be at the cinema or the, you know, the little local place that we played the, the roller rink, you know, where they held all the punk rock shows, you know? And, yeah. And, uh, can you remember, cool. like you mentioned that that first show was a little shaky cause you were you're just nerves and inexperience and stuff. Can you remember like when it felt like it was, things were starting to click a little more, like you got I a think it more- was more pummel, you know, was cause it pummel? I was, yeah. yeah, I think that's when it clicked. I was a little bit older, you know? And, uh, you know, I just, I think I had the experience then. I was so young and I was always surrounded by all these older guys. And at the time, right, a 15, 16 year old kid, to a 25 year old, it's, it's That's ginormous. A, and so yeah. I always was just, you know, I was a little intimidated by them at the sure. time. And, you know, and then, you know, and then as you get older, you're, you're just not anymore. And so, right. Right. But, yeah. I didn't, um, the Elemental Penguin, that high school band, as, as, as fond of it, that band is, as we were. Uh, my friend Dwight, whom I'm, I'm still very close friends with, he and I do uh, web design together now uh, occasionally. And he and I were in other bands after Elemental Penguin. Um, we loved that band, but because there was so much going on, our senior, this, we only formed like halfway through our senior year. And by that point, we were all so busy, you know, getting ready to go to college and try to finish try to finish our, our uh, school year out and not fail <laughs> our classes, you know? Right. So we, we, we played a, a f- really only had two full shows. There was that first one, which is the videotaped performance I'm talking about, which was moment, really momentous occasion for me and everybody else in the band uh, performing for the first time. And then we, we had a performance at a, a city park called Fleming park, which is uh, couple blocks away from where my dad's house was and where my dad continued to live for until the day he died. And that was uh, some kind of benefit uh, event that uh, our one of our, we had three backup singers in the band. 
Camille Zamora, who's now a professional opera singer uh, in New York. I think wow. she lives now. I think she got that gig for us. And we threw that because we had to play a lot longer than we, we really only knew like seven or eight songs from start to finish at that point. So we had the morning, it was like the morning of the gig. We met at uh, Lisa, when another one of the, the backup singers houses. And we, I brought my Beatles songbook that I gotten for Christmas. And we just went through and tried to find the easiest things to learn on the fly. Uh, it was insane. And then the other, the only other two gigs we had where we played just one song uh, during what PVA had these things called happenings, which were lunchtime concerts. Uh, there was, it wasn't always music. It could be any kind of performance. Um, sometimes theater people would come up and do little short plays and things like that. But Elemental Penguin played uh, two happenings. And I think we played Oh, that five. sounds cool. Yeah, those were always a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but that was it. And then we always intended to – I remember actually that summer, we were, Dwight and I were going around – talking to clubs and stuff about possibly getting uh, Elemental Penguin to play shows. But it was just, we couldn't pull it together because everybody was leaving and everything. But so I didn't really start performing for real. It kind of similar to you and Pummel. It was, I, I joined a band called The Change uh, later that same year. It's uh, November, December, 87. Uh, but and we had my first gig with them was uh, playing a, a wedding of a friend. And kind of similar to some of the early Penguin performances, we were we learned a bunch of songs overnight, and it was like a mess, you know, trying to fill up a whole, you know, wedding reception gig. You know, these we were all we were all like you know eighteen, nineteen years old. I think the bass player was was sixteen; he hadn't even graduated high school yet. So it was a mess. But we we pulled ourselves together after that. And I remember thinking that that went that gig went so horribly. I thought, well, that surely that's the end of that. But Andy Zubik, who was the leader of that band, said, "Oh no, I'm we're not done yet." You know, and so we we kept going, and that was one of my just I have such fond memories of being in that band. We we had a really solid work ethic, uh, the four of us. And nice. Dwight, la- Dwight later joined that band too, towards the end of the our time together. But again, kind of similar to uh, to was Pummel only? You said it was only how long was Pummel together? Like two. Man, Pummel was together a while. I oh, was, I was thinking of Crack. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, that was. Two years, year or two, so, so yeah, a couple years. You know, that's, it's a high school band, yeah, right. That's that's kind of when ch- the change wasn't a high school band, um, not for me anyway. But it, it, it we only lasted, I think, God, eighty something, you know, two and a half years, I think, from when I joined, and but so much happened in that that little two year span. You know that this was, you know, you think about those those years right after you graduate high school, and just how how much is going on. Your brain's being hit by all these these new things that are happening to you and you're growing up you're for sure being responsible for the first time you get your first job and all that stuff so it was a, it was a really heady time for me but thinking about all the stuff that the band went through which eventually pulled us apart we were just too young to to weather those stresses because I, I thought about this many times that everything that led to the band breaking up blackguards has been through tenfold <laughs> And we, we've always managed to, to pull through because we're, yeah. we, to me, I mean, I credit partially for me anyway, the experience I had early on. It's like, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm not going to make this mistake again. I'm sorry. But, you know, every time I get to that point, it's like, okay, what did I do in the changes to make sure I don't make that decision? <laughs> I think so, some of the things that happened, you know, really communication, you know. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. It's just so... I can't even, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but communication is key. It's it just, is huge. I, just, I look back at things now and I'm like, 
was that really a problem or is it just the way it was worked through you know yeah. like you know and that's why i make those comments all the time about be the water that's really comes from all that it's mm-hmm. like you just you know remove that objection and really find out if, if you want it to last and you want it to keep going you just you you got to be willing to do what it takes and just you got to work through it you know yeah. and you gotta you gotta let things go and you know if you want to have long-term relationships with people you gotta you gotta let little things go you know Absolutely. You, gotta, you gotta just roll with things and you yeah. gotta be forgiving and you gotta have good boundaries and you gotta just be honest you know and then just and then also get around a group of guys or girls and just crush you know you just have to you have to be all in with it and so yeah that's, absolutely that's what i've learned over all these years you know? yeah I, I think a big part of it for me too was was understanding the dynamics of a band it wasn't just my mistake we all kind of naively made this mistake thinking that uh we could have three creative forces driving one ship you know not that not saying that you can't have multiple creative creative minds in a band. you need multiple creative minds in a band. But when I joined, Andy was really the the leader of the band and uh, it worked really well that way. But then when Dwight joined, he and I kind of became the separate figurehead. Like he and I, we started kind of trying to do all the things mm-hmm. that we intended to do in Elemental Penguin, like moving in a li- li- kind of a different direction. Like because Andy and I used to write together. And then when Dwight joined, he and I would write together and Andy and I kind of drifted apart creatively, you know, and that, that was one of the things that this happens in so many bands, you know, the, 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 the original leader of the band starts, starts to lose control of the uh, creative direction of everything. And so Andy started getting disillusioned with it. This was my interpretation of the way, but if you're watching Andy, I guess we haven't talked about this, but this is what I observed, you know, it just seemed like we all, he, he lost enthusiasm for it. And then we all subsequently lost enthusiasm for it. Cause there was just no, there was no center anymore. And we kind of, you know, so then when those stresses came, you know, we had a, a drummer who had a, an addiction problem mm. um, and all those little arguments you mentioned, you know, yeah. silly things that kids will argue about and adults. We just couldn't, couldn't survive that. You know, we just kind of, yeah. When you have those added stressors in, especially, you know, you got the addiction side or the certain party side and, you know, you guys and I talked about this at the beginning when I was joining, you know, and it was like, Hey, where's everyone at? You know, when I was asking those questions, because it's like, it's, it's not, if it's when this is just a time bomb waiting to go off. And, you know, and so yeah. we've all been a part of that. And so, oh yeah. Yeah. Like I can't, you know, that's not, you know, it's, it's not something I, I look forward to, but I've seen guys that are super talented just get completely derailed because of this outside thing, you know, and it's like, they're so short lived, yeah. whether it's just partying or, Oh yeah. You know, they get wrapped up in these relationships and this dysfunction and you're just like, man, you're really just tying your arms behind your back and wondering why you're struggling all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like you're self-sabotaging almost. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. funny. You asked me about, you know, we were kind of talking, like you said the other day about when we were younger in our twenties and different bands. I'm like, man, what, what would I bring up? You know, it's like, I think you start, I mean, man, I, I had all these thoughts just, just coming in and I just, I wanted to share this one story. And so this was with Pummel. And you know, what's funny is when Pummel started, you know, we, we were a kind of more of a pop punk band, you know, I guess we would call that now, you know, punk rock, but you know, more of that nineties sort of pop style. And, and when we got Adam as a singer, I just, I loved him. He, you know, we evolved and this is when we turned into a three piece, you know, we turned more into a rock style band. You know, we kind of played a little bit more into Adam's strengths and, we got this battle of the bands 
gig where we were, you know, we auditioned and we sent them the tapes and we got in in Nevada and they let us in. And so it was at this casino and what's so funny is you had to be over 21 to get in at the time. My brother and I were 21 and Adam, I think was 17 or 16 or say so. he was, a, you know, he was in high school and uh, he was the young one. And, uh, and so he had to like wait outside kind of, you know, and come in, but we played this battle of bands and we got all the way through all the days and we actually ended up winning this thing. And Oh, wow. One of It was crazy. I was just excited to get in, right? We win this thing, and there's these three judges. And this one judge comes up to us, and he's like, man, I really liked your stuff. I worked with this label and you know this record label and yada, yada, yada. And he gives us his information card and all this and that. And we're like, who are you? You know, we don't know, right? So we, like, look him up, and it was Richard Dashett. It was Fleetwood Mac's producer. He was a guest judge what? at this battle of the bands. Wow. And we're like, oh my gosh. So we sent him this demo. He's like, send me this demo. We sent him this demo. And he's like, man, this was nothing like I saw you live. What is this demo? This is not the same. He goes, I want the energy that I saw live. That's what I want. And I just remember thinking now I look back and I'm like, it doesn't matter if there's five people at the show or 2000. Look who's watching. We didn't know this guy was there. We didn't know he was a judge. We, I don't even, I, I can't tell you the other two judges names now. It's like, you don't know who's there. And because we were like, we're just going to bring everything we got, you know, it led us to this. And that we, we had a long run with that label. You know, we never really closed the deal with them. I did get a record deal with them. Yeah. We never, you know, never, we never got off the shelf with it, but it was, uh, you know, I tell that story cause I'm like, man, it's just, you, you know, you never know at any show at any moment who can yeah. be there. You yeah. just, just bring it, you know? Yeah. And so. Anyway, Patrick says that all the time. It's like, you never know who's going to be there. You never but, know. Uh, but people always remark that we, even when we played a small crowd compared to, you know, like shows where there's a hundred people there or more, it's, we always bring the same amount of energy and that's part of it. But it's like really the reason why we do that because we're having, we we're there to have fun, you know, at the end of the day, that, that is the whole point of it. And I, I find it funny that, 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 that that's even an issue for any bands. Like you're on stage, you're performing fucking throw down why why you know otherwise go home you know why what are you doing it for you have all the effort you put into the rehearsals and getting the gear there and stuff that's the whole point of it i think oh did i lose you Uh uh-oh did the internet go out all right so i not sure. I think we're talking about uh, your your your, uh, your first recording contract that you got with uh, was it with Pummel, right? Yeah, it was with Pummel. Yeah. yeah. So the label was Emergent Records, and so mm-hmm. they did one of Dishwalla's albums, like kind of later in Dishwalla's career. Okay. And um, we worked with their former AR guy. His name was Mark. I can't remember his last name, but Mark. And so we were hooked up with them for a while, and so we worked up with them and. I mean, they set us up with all kinds of shows. You know, we did the whiskey in Hollywood and we did all kinds of places. And man, we were touring like crazy, you know, just, you know, I mean, I think one year we did 160, 170 shows. We were just constantly as many places we can play. We do two, three shows a day. It didn't matter. Just one person there didn't matter. They were just like, get as much road work at time as you can. Wow. And we would play acoustic. We would play full volume. We would play coffee shops it just as we play malls we did some mall shows and Mm -hmm. just the craziest places but (laughs) so but 
you never actually got around to releasing albums though? Is that, is that no. what you were saying? Yeah. No, we got a deal with them, you know, at the time, you know, without giving away too much of the laundry, the Adam was a minor. And so his parents were involved with the deal and, you know, we got the deal and it wasn't quite what they wanted. And, and we just never closed the deal. You know, we never signed the deal on our side. And oh, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we never formally signed a deal with them. And, and so they kept working with us for a while and then, and then they were like, well, Hey, we're going to close this deal. We, at this point, we kind of had agreed to what we wanted to do. And we got to a point, you know, with the attorneys and everything, Hey, this is what we want to do. And everything seemed to be fine on track. And they came out. We actually, man, we had this thing in the paper. We, they had our, all of our family come out. They flew people in and had this big dinner. And then couple hours before the dinner, they were like, Hey, we're going to shelve you for another year. And <sighs> they kind of ripped on Adam a little bit and, you know, really, yeah, they just, they, they kind of ripped apart some of his things. And, and, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of it, you know, and, you know, I stepped in and, you know, sort of daddy Kevin here. And I just, you know, I told them that, uh, you know, Hey, it's, uh, this meeting's over, you know, it's not, it's not him. This is we're a band. And if, if it's something he's doing, it's something we're doing. Was this behavior or something they had an issue with? Or no, is it- some of his diction and his voice, you know, they just ripped him apart. He was oh, kind that's of right. You mentioned that in a previous some conversation. His, 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 I, I love the way he did it, you know, and he kind of flowed that way. I think he's amazing. You know, he's, I, I, I haven't talked to him in a long time. A couple of little things here and there. I know he's in Chicago, I believe, and he draws really well. He's an artist. And oh, so cool. I know he's, pursuing that and he's always performing and he yeah. did i think a show with uh that guy uh snyder what's his name dean snyder who's the guy with the uh kind of long curly hair i forget his name oh d snyder from yeah, uh snyder. from twisted, twisted sister twisted yeah. sister that's it and so i know he did his play with him and nice uh, he did all kinds of stuff. he had some songs i think he did resident evil on the soundtrack and you know, he's done well you know he's he's, he's done well and no kidding. super proud of him man he's just you know i know we kind of drifted apart but he uh those guys struggled, you know, with that kind of feedback. They just, you know, and I was, I kept telling them, man, we're just going to do another demo. We'll get another set of six songs and we're going to keep going. And yeah, you know, we eventually parted ways with the label, but uh, you know, we mm-hmm. went after a different way. And so. That's crazy. So this was mid late, late nineties, I guess, or early two thousands, early two thousands. Okay. Yeah. Kind of late nineties, early two thousands. I was 2021 ish time. I'd say 21 early 20. So this would be like, to early 2000s you know that's and, probably the guy you 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 guys are probably one of the last punk bands to get you know actual artist development <laughs> going on with a label i i don't think labels there's any major label actually looking for for that kind of band anymore it's like i mean i could be wrong but i mean it's like you know you look at the what's popular because that was back when when uh you know, Foo Fighters were still, I mean, Foo Fighters are still huge, but everybody was still, they were looking for the next Foo Fighters at that point. Cause they're, you know, that was still kind of a, f- a fresh thing. Right. right. Cause we had, you had, I don't even know if they were kind of, I think they were still early if they were even rolling then they might've yeah. been at that time. I, it, all those years kind of seem to push together, you know, at yeah. this point, but I'm just thinking of all that post grunge stuff, you know, there was uh, stone temple pilots and, and, uh, sound garden and, and, um, uh, and my my timing of the year is maybe really off because this, this is a long time ago. But it's funny thinking about the the you know around two thousand two thousand one. It it seems in in one on the one hand it seems like 
ages ago because it was over 20 years ago, but it also didn't seem in my, in the span of my life, you know, that's when I ran around the time I turned 30. So it's like, it doesn't feel, <laughs> well, I was an adult. I've been adult for a while, been an adult for a while. So it doesn't really feel like that long ago, but then again, it does. It's a strange thing. So my, yeah. my memory of, of what was going on in the music industry at that point is a little hazy, but I just know that you don't hear about that, that, that those types of bands are our type of band now, you know, guitar, bass, drums, bands like that don't, it's not, not likely it never happens, but that isn't really who the big labels are looking for anymore. You know, they want the tight, the Taylor Swift's and the, uh, um, I don't know who was, who was uh, the Harry Styles, <laughs> those people. Yeah. Right. They yeah. definitely were development. I mean, they would, there was this place. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's in, you know, I was West coast. So it was, it's called clown records and it was a place. And I think Hollywood or LA somewhere around there, you know, I don't know what the actual address would be, but it was like a studio and all these, man, famous bands were in there. And I remember one time we walked out, they would just put us up there. We would go, we'd be on tour and they would stick us in there for two days all day. And we'd just be rehearsing and they'd have people come in and, Hey, try this and try that. And, you know, we just, they were trying to help you write work through songs, you know, and we would get through a song and they'd be like, all right, well, this one sounds like this. So we're going to scratch this and change this. I mean, they were really trying to get us to get a certain type of record, right? They want us to have a complete record. And, uh, and I just remember one time we walked out and Nikki six was there with a few other people. They were, and he was sitting right out front on the phone and he gave us the nice job. <laughs> That's and so cool. I, I mean, I wasn't even like a huge fan of their stuff, but I just was so pumped, you know, it's I was a big like, deal, oh, yeah. dude, these guys are just super famous and we're just these kids, you know, like I always felt like we shouldn't be here. You know, we shouldn't be here. And just, you know, it was just, I don't know. I, I think what would have been good for that band is to actually have, direction internally away from the record almost like your own manager your own parent i always say it was like the we were these kids and sort of unparented navigating through these things that we had no idea right so there was no and within your ranks and actual band members there was no guiding light as far as that's right yeah we were just sort of weighing it and you know it was us making decisions with no little to no experience in these realms. Right. We have yeah. attorneys and I mean, man, you don't even know what they're saying. You know, you're just at the time. You just, you you're sort of just taking it on. Right. And you look back and the labels like, we're like, Hey, we don't have money for an attorney, you know? And they're like, well, we'll pay for your attorney. And you, and you look back now and you're like, wait a minute, the people we're negotiating with are supporting and funding the people that are negotiating for us. You know, you, you kind of look at these things and you're like, it kind of works, but you know, I look back, I'm like, I'd have done things a lot differently. Yeah. So, you know, I, it sounds I, I like you, you guys just needed more time. I mean, being, being so young, you know, yeah. it makes me think of the, the story. Uh, it was, it was a completely different time, but when talking heads first got signed, you know, they were what, what we would call indie. Now, uh, this was, they got signed to Sire records and the, the mid, mid to late, I guess it was 1977, right. When the punk movement was, was, really kind of starting to hit, you know, mainstream, whatever that means. Yeah. And they, the, the head of Sire records, I'm trying to remember what his name was. He had discovered them, uh, at CBGB's in, in New York, where, where a lot of bands got started, the Ramones, Blondie. He really, he loved the band and wanted to sign them like right then and there. But David Byrne, well, the whole band kind of agreed, said, no, we're not ready yet. <laughs> Cause they'd only been together for less than a year. I think at that point, not very long. They just felt like they weren't ready to go through the, the the stress that you guys were being put through, 
Um, but although I'm sure it wasn't the kind of development that was, you, you guys were being, uh, uh, were being subjected to at that point, uh, was not, I, I don't think that the people at Sire Records were telling Talking Heads what songs to play or whatever, but, uh, they wanted, they wanted them just the way they were when they first signed. Cause that, that was still such a, a, a rough and raw period where it's like, okay, punk rock, nobody knows what this is. We'll just, let's just sign these guys and see how they do. Let's just sign these guys and see how they do. It's completely different, you know, frontiersman type period for, for the business. But I always admired that, that that's one of the most remarkable parts of the talk of talking heads. The story is that they, they put the pause button on their record contract on their own, of their own volitions. Like, no, this, we're not ready yet. Come, let's talk again in a year or however long it was. And then, you know, so Sire Records was like, okay. <laughs> and I'm sure there must have been other labels competing for them by the time they finally signed. But the, I, I think they, obviously, in the end, they decided to sign with Sire anyway. I think probably because they had the most creative freedom with them. I, I'm not sure. But I, I love that story. It's just such a, it was a very wise decision, I think, on their part. And it makes me wonder, like, what would have happened if they hadn't, you know, waited, you know? <sighs> One decision. Yeah. I mean, exactly. one changes the whole trajectory. You yeah. know, it's like, it's crazy if you think about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, times. I find that fascinating because we've, I've thought that what y'all went through, I've never been that close to a record contract. And now have, like I'm saying that what you guys went through is bands like that probably don't get that experience anymore uh, from labels anyway because the industry just isn't looking for that now. And I, I just wonder, I've, I've heard that it's, it's a common complaint from people, industry people who've been in the industry for a long time. Like Rick Beato has a, a very popular YouTube channel. He's been through everything. He's seen everything happen through the, the, in, the industry changing. You don't really get de- development, artist development anymore. Um, and if you do, it's like somebody finding a singer they like, and then they write all the material for them and hire musicians to play the material. And, and uh, it's not, it's not really an issue of like, I mean, like, God, I mean, there's every, every band you can think of like Sabbath Genesis, when they first started, it was labels it, Frank, Frank Zappa had a really good way of putting it. And I'm sure I've mentioned this on the show before <laughs> in years past, but uh, Frank Zappa was bemoaning this fact too, in the late eighties, that there just wasn't the same kind of artist development that there was in the 60, late sixties and seventies that there was a, because of the older, it was actually better when you had older people like from, like from the Frank Sinatra era, you know, from the the forties and fifties coming into what was happening in the sixties and seventies, because they had a, a little bit more of a, uh, adventurous, uh, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. He said like, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to take a chance on it. You take a chance on you guys. We'll see, you know, I don't even like your music, but Hey, let's take a chance. Come on. Let's see what happens. You know? And as the, as the music industry has gotten, more mature and especially now when things have completely changed in the digital age that people don't really want to take chances anymore. And I think that's why you hear popular music. The whole, the whole game with popular music now is to take no chances. Like let's write a song, especially the country, what's going on in country right now. Every new hit has to sound as much like every previous hit as possible. And it's like mm-hmm. this weird kind of kind of disgusting stagnation that's been going on. Like every song sounds the same. And, uh, that Man, you compare it to how how things moved from from the fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties and, and even through the nineties, there was just so much, so much, so much was changing, you know, from year to year. And I, I maybe I'm just old, but I don't see that anymore. <laughs> Everything's fragmented now, and it's it's at once kind of wonderful and and kind of depressing in a way. But it's good because bands like us can we 
can find our our niche audience we can home in on it you know because of the internet we're able to people are able to find us easily we're able to find them uh but as far as the, the potential for bands to really blow up on the scale of like u2 like they did um like in, a, in a 1987 the year i was mentioning earlier that doesn't really happen you hit bands like ghost hit it really big but as far as that that level of, of success that that the beetle era of of rock bands i think is is well over maybe for the best you know there's there's different things happening now that's the thing you always kind of have to look on the bright side that the the, the way the industry is now has enabled a whole different kind of uh, thing which i'm not really sure how to describe right now does that make sense? Yeah. No, I rambled there for a minute. Yeah. No, it's funny. My kids, they, especially, you know, my middle son, he, he doesn't listen to not even close to what I'm into and listen to and play. And yeah. And, uh, but I will say this, they, you know, they got to come see laggards play for the first time a couple Saturdays ago. And, uh, I, his opinion on it, I was actually seeking the most. I, because he, he kind of listens to this, not techno, but kind of like that dark, you know, five nights at Freddy music. He, that's just his thing. And he loves it. And so I was like, I wonder what he thinks. And he just, he said he loved it. He's like, man, I just had such a good time. And, you know, he laughed when, you know, you were introduced as Jeff Bezos and he just, (laughs) he kept telling me that's the funniest thing. And you guys are just so good. And I just had such a good time. And, Cool. It was so genuine, you know, because you know he's not one to tell you otherwise. And I just I wanted to share that because he, oh, you know, it. was just like, oh man. And he's like, oh, he goes, now I get it. Now I know why they call you Turbo. And now I get it. He goes, <laughs> That's a, and now I understand. He goes, it just seems so much fun. You just look like you're having so much fun. And he goes, now I understand why you're doing it. And so it just well, what, cool. what, why did what? How? Why did he understand why you're? Your nickname is Turbo. Because he says you move really fast. <laughs> he's like, I don't know how you do that. You move really fast. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't know. He's not there for my rehearsals, and you know, he doesn't experience it from my vantage point. So he's just like, it was funny. It was good times. By the way, that hasn't. I mean, Patrick has given nicknames to all of us, but I don't think. I think you're the only person who's was given a nickname like immediately upon. He had that name for you right after the first time we met. And because even before you knew it, I knew what your nickname was. She said, okay, so we'll get Turbo Turbo back in here. And I was like, wait, is that your nickname for Kevin? No, like, he's like, yeah, I don't know why. I just keep calling him Turbo. (laughs) He didn't even really give it much thought. It just kind of jumped into his head. Just felt natural. It's kind of weird. I know. Mike Mike busted him. Did I tell you that story? No. Yeah, Mike did. He told me that because he told me before you guys told me. He goes, oh, that's your nickname, by the way. Oh, <laughs> he came over my house and we were, we did a rehearsal together. He was like, <laughs> yeah. like, all right, well that, that works. That's fine. You know, I go, whatever. You know, I yeah. just, <laughs> but it's, it's different. I mean, Mike, Mike was always Mike, the machine, uh, Mac McLoon or McLoon, which was, a, yeah. that's a joke that goes back to his, his high school. His coach used to call him McLoon. Um, so we, we started calling him McLoon, which got short, short, short to Clooney and all this stuff. But we we didn't just you know we call you Turbo everybody everybody in the band calls you Turbo now nobody called Mike the Machine you know like, call him Machine <laughs> hey Machine <laughs> yeah that just didn't happen and like me being Impaler that 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 is the most common nickname that's that's been that has persisted nobody calls me that as a name you know it's just something yeah. that comes out on stage so you you've got a special distinction there uh, it really hasn't happened with anybody else in the history of the band that I can think of oh that's awesome yeah it's really interesting. It just kind of glommed onto you. It's like, yeah, turbo Kevin. 
That's what people come up to me at the shows. They call me at the show. Yeah, they really love people love that. That's when I kind of play this dance. And so we're like, because he'll introduce me to people, and it's about 50 50. Turbo, Kevin, it depends on where we are. And I'm like, just roll with it, man. Just turbo it up, you know? Because <laughs> I think he looks at me like, is he cool with it? You know? Like, like, just roll with it, man. It's fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, all sign things. I just signed Turbo now. I'm like, Kevin's gone. I'm like, I just, that's, that's this, this chapter. So I'm like, let it roll. That's awesome. Uh, Did you ever fun. have nicknames with any, any of your previous bands? Was that ever a thing? Kev, it was always Kev. Kev yeah, just short, you know, and yeah, yeah, Kev. <laughs> I don't know. I, if I had them, I don't remember them now. It wasn't nothing like this. I think this is really my first main name, you know, other than yeah. friends calling you nicknames, different right. stuff. You know? Right. My dad, um, Cheeto. That's my che- Cheeto. Cheeto. Oh. He's been calling me that for so long. I don't even know when it started. To be honest with you, he's just. I call him Weech, and he calls me Cheeto, and it's just. I'm not sure where they came from, but that's we still, when we talk, we'll get together and talk every so often. We'll call each other. That. <laughs> what so, is, what is Weech? Where does that come from? Just, I think he was, he called me Cheeto. And one time I tried to come up with some, so I called him Weecho. And then I was like, nah, it's dumb. <laughs> and then it just turned into Weech. <laughs> it just sort of adapted into Weech. And then he's like, all right, Cheeto, you know? And so, yeah. <laughs> Some little things, you know, that camaraderie. I love it. Yeah, so I'm trying to think that Patty doesn't really have a nickname either. We, we've tried to come up with ones. With uh, Mike for a while, I was calling him Power Pig. Power uh, Pig. Yeah, and I can't remember where that came from. I call him Boss Man. Boss, like, yeah, the other's Boss Man. That's true. I'm trying yeah. to get that to stick. It kind of has a little runs in and out, but I'm yeah. just like, I'm not, I'm not giving up on it. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not giving up. <laughs> just go Boss Man. For me, it's just always Patty because that's, uh, yeah. and that I didn't even call him that from to begin with, but it it became a Nat, it became the, the default after a while. And part of the reason was that Turi, our first fiddle player, started dating somebody named Patrick. So when he was around, I couldn't have two Patricks. It was just too confusing. So I started defaulting to Patty, which I already knew was the nickname he used. But um, yeah, anyway, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I sent you those photos of that symbol I polished. And so oh, I yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a lot more work than I anticipated, but uh, had you never done that before? Never done that before. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to do it, and I've had that symbol. I think twenty years, maybe longer. I've had that little. Oh symbol. really? Gosh, Dude, that's impressive. I've had it so long, and when I got, <clears throat> I've got some things in in storage and different stuff, and so I, when I was over there one time, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna get this out. And I've had it at my house since you know, I joined you guys. And so I just was like, man, every, every time I look at it, I'm like, I want to clean this thing up. And <laughs> so I'm like, forget it. I'm just doing it. And, uh, it was about two hours, you know, my arms were shaking when I was done, but <laughs> I was so happy. I I'm part of this one drum group online. And I was like, Oh man, the symbol purists, they're going to eat me alive. I was like, the second I send this post, these pictures, they're just going to come after me. Right. Cause you got to keep it antique and authentic. Right. And the dirt and the scars of the symbol, you're ruining it. And I'm like, I'm going for it. Well, and yeah. I put it online and oh my gosh, dude, the comments I got, they're just awesome. I love it. People oh, just yeah. like, the way they feel. I'm like, it's just a symbol. Like, it I'm really like, is. I'll put up a, a, a picture you, you sent me. Uh, it, it is stunning. The I mean, it looks brand new uh, compared to what it was before. Dude, to get the, to, the oxidation. It looks like a completely off, different symbol. I, yeah. It was like, I had to get the drill out, right? So I got these pads on the drill and it was like, and you can't let it get too hot. So you have to like get on it and get off it and get on it and get off it. And you have to sit there and do that. And it's just like, I worked in these little pies and it was like, 
And once I got one pie good, like I did the bell first and I was like, oh my gosh, this looks so awesome. We're doing the whole thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. I know. I posted online. This one guy messaged me and he's like, I ran out immediately today and bought the stuff you said and it looks nothing like that. I'm like, oh man, don't do that. I go, how long did you do it for? I, so I private messaged him. I was like, how long did you do it for? If it's not two hours, you didn't put in enough work. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you need straight elbow grease for this. It's not, you don't just rub it on and rub it, buff it off. That's not how it works. And yeah. So, I wonder if you should do like, if you do another, do you have another symbol you could do that too? Yeah. Like, oh, like, I got tons. Because so, uh, maybe you could do a YouTube video. Just so I show. recorded the whole thing. You did? Okay, good. Yeah. And so I started putting that together uh, last night. The only thing okay, is good. I got this new camera and I put it on there. It's not as user-friendly as my phone. And so I'm like, oh, so I had to, I didn't have enough time last night. Cause you know, I got, I go to bed early. I'm like an old man. So mm-hmm. it's uh, I was, but I'm going to work on that. I did it in segments. And so I showed it at the beginning. I did some, we were polishing through it. And then I showed the end and okay. uh, I recorded the whole thing and I broke it up in a couple of segments, but okay. I want to put it online. And show yeah, you like, should. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. It was like the rags were just black. Like, oh, you, I can't <laughs> believe how dirty it is. Like you don't realize yeah. until you get in it what comes off those things, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's insane. So, I mean, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you, uh, if we should, we should wrap this up because, uh, uh, this is going to turn into a very long show if we don't, but, uh, th- if you can find that footage of crack, crack performance. Yeah. I, 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 don't I'm knock yourself out. I have the tape. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be, that would be pretty cool to, to throw that in there. And, uh, I'll try to, is there, I think I asked you this before, but is there any pummel stuff online? I have some records and I have the MP3s and okay. uh, I'll kind of show you some of the main songs that we were, you know, they were wanting to sign with and I'll show you kind of what we were doing. And, uh, but we did a couple e- like LP or uh, EPs and uh, unsigned EPs, but just self-released. And okay. we took the demos that they didn't do and we just released them. We're yeah. Like, would you have like promo photos of the band and stuff? Oh like yeah. That? yeah. Yeah. I got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Cause that would yeah. be cool to throw up some of those. Yeah. We were on a bunch of compilation CDs. So I got a bunch of those. I think I have about 10, 12, like, you know, comp records with other bands we were on and releases. Yeah. Those ones were actually were out with labels. And right. so not that label, but they were, you know, we just, they purchased the song to use it in that time. And, you know, and so those were kind of cool. I like okay. those cause you get so much exposure. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We had that, that blackguards had that sort of early on too. If our, you never hear, I never hear about compilations anymore, but we did, uh, we are, our, our a couple of our songs appeared on several different compilations. One of them was put together by Larry Kerwin of uh, Black 47, who's oh, cool. a legendary uh, Celtic rock band out of uh, New York. Um, and I know for a fact that those, the efforts of Larry Kerwin in particular, and also um, John Bowles of uh, Patty, Pac- uh, Patty, <laughs> Patty, Pac- uh, Patty Rock Radio, uh, John from Shite and Onions, so those guys had a lot to do with the the arc of our our fandom that has grown consistently over the past almost two decades now. So yeah, those, those, uh, those compilation records are, are a big deal, or at least they were, I don't know how much they are now, but uh, yeah, you're right. You don't see them much anymore. Well, nobody it's, buys it's CDs. Physical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's physical. Right. Playlists are the thing now. That's the, yeah. that's the new compilation record or the playlists. Those, those are powerful as well. Anyhow. Cool. We'll wrap this one up. Thanks for watching everybody. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button because we do this every week. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, spread it around, uh, get, get as many people listening to this as possible. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up. Ireland tour is still booking. 
a lot of people going, but we still have room. So if you want to come with us to Ireland in October, uh, get on blackguards.com. Uh, the contact information is there to talk to our friend Dennis at uh, Doc's Irish Tours. He's, he'll he'll, he'll uh, help you out. And I'm so excited for that. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, so be awesome. This will be our first time going back since 2019. It's, it'll be uh, uh, Kevin's first time going with us. So. But you've been to Ireland before, though. We yeah. Talked about that. yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I've done about 14 shows there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's so crazy you've actually performed there already. <laughs> yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah, yeah buddy of mine just too. signed up. He texted me the deal. So, he, him and his girl are going, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be so awesome. <laughs> yes. And for those of you watching in the present day, uh, this weekend we're going to be in College Station, uh, February 18th, I believe, for the, the Great Guinness Toast. Big deal. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, y'all. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. See ya.